God's doing some amazing things through some of our mission partners. And I, I just want to take a moment with you to pray for Christians in Ukraine. Let's pray. Holy Father, it's unbelievable the wickedness of men. But you're right there in the middle of it. And we want to pray a specific prayer for the Christians of Ukraine that they would suffer in such a way with the joy of the Lord and the strength of your spirit that their, their countrymen would look to them and ask what's different about them. Would you use this tragedy for a triumph for Christianity? Not just with the Ukrainians who would find faith in Jesus, but even, even their enemies. As Russian soldiers see the response of Christians on the ground, would they be struck by the holiness and righteousness of a God that empowers those who suffer? And if you do that, then maybe those soldiers could find faith in Jesus and cease from doing harm to others. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. You know, one thing that refugees all have in common is that they find themselves in a place where they're out of place. And, and to a lesser degree, all of us, not just refugees, all of us have had those times and experiences where we're, like we're just in a place where we know that we're out of place. In fact, I'm gonna, I've been thinking about this and I wanna share a story with you that I think I can share with you. When I was way out of my depth, I was in a place where I felt out of place. It was my first ministry. I'm, I'm a kid, like a 23 years old. And I'm in San Antonio, Texas, which was a different place for me because I grew up in California. And California and Texas are, well, they're just a different universe altogether. But I, I was with this group of guys, the preachers in the city, and I had such respect for them. They were older and they were wiser. And I just, I just thought a lot of them. And one guy in particular was a, like he was a dude's dude. His name was Skip, how about that? Like, Skip and I were, couldn't be more different. He lived in the hill country, I lived in the middle of the city. He drove a F-150, I drove a Datsun 510. Like one step over a Yugo. Skip was a, a big hunter, he's an outdoorsman. I didn't even own a gun at the time. So it's like, one of these things is not like the other. And when Skip invited me to go hunting with them, I, I had two emotions. One was joy, because like, yes, I want to learn how to do that, and you can coach me how to do that. The other was terror, because I, I knew that I would do something stupid to, to, to really forfeit my man card, and I didn't disappoint. We're in the blind hunting white-tailed deer, and out of the bush walked this huge beast, not a deer. I didn't even know what it was. I'd never seen one of these things before. I'm gonna show you a picture, see if you know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like a javelina, and I know that now, but this thing comes out and I'm just like, what is that? And Skip leans over and goes, shoot it. I thought it was a, like a prehistoric creature that I would make extinct if I shot it, so I, I, by the time I was ready to pull the trigger, <laughs> It was gone. You know how long it took me to live that down? Never is the answer. <laughs> Have you ever been in a place where you're out of place? <laughs> Some of you are sitting there going, yeah, I'm right now. 
because a friend brought you to church or maybe a girlfriend, boyfriend, or, or maybe you just walked in here, you decided I'm looking for something in life and I don't know if I could find it in there, but maybe it's in there, I don't know. And you're just sure that everyone around you has their life together. I assure you, they do not. Hey, you look around, you go, These, I bet everybody knows how to pray and I don't. Uh, no, they don't. I bet everyone knows God and knows the Bible. I promise you, they don't. One of the unique things about this church, our church, is that we really do have a priority for those outside the church more than those inside the church. And I just want you to know right now, if you're at a place where you feel out of place, you have a place here. And I hope that you can feel that and receive that. This is a no judgment zone. It doesn't matter about your past. It, it doesn't matter what your background is or how different you are. We want you here. And I promise you, that's not because we're just great, nice people. It's because we're followers of Jesus Christ. And he has always gone after, after the one lost sheep over the 99. Jesus has always made space in his place for people who feel out of place. And so I want to tell you a story that comes straight out of the Bible. It's from the book of Luke. It's, that's, the Bible has two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. This is, this is the third book in the second part, the New Testament. And it's called Luke because that's the name of the author. He actually wrote a couple books in the New Testament, part A, part B. This part A piece is all about the story of Jesus. And what's so interesting when Luke tells a story is that Luke is actually an outsider himself. He is the only author of all the Bible that didn't have a single drop of Jewish blood. So he knows what it's like to be in a place where you're out of place. So a lot of his stories deal with people who, like you would never expect that they had access to Jesus. Women and children and lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors and you. So here's the story from Luke chapter seven, beginning in verse one. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a, a pretty small village. They would call it a city, but it's about 2,000 people right on the north shore of the Lake of Galilee. And Jesus' kind of headquarters were there, so he's there a lot. Verse two, there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Now, you might know this about Luke. His earlier vocation, before he traveled with Paul and preached the gospel and wrote this book, he was, he was a physician by trade. And he knew the danger of even simple sicknesses like this. Uh, malaria without modern medicine is lethal. Dysentery without the benefits of doctors today could be lethal. And Luke, like he had lost a lot of patients. He knows how dangerous this is. Verse three, the centurion heard Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. So I wanna pause right there because it, it calls him a centurion. That's, that's a military leader. In the Roman military, centurions, as the name suggests, uh, were over 100 men. And they, 
they actually were the backbone of the Roman army. Because if you're an enlisted man, the highest rank you could go is centurion. Above that, you had to be born into a noble family. And these centurions, because they were the backbone of the military, they were hated by the Jews. Why? Well, because they're, they're an occupying force. And they call themselves a peacekeeping force, but <laughs> you're not going to convince a Jew of that. They were invaders. And it's interesting to me, I've always thought maybe, maybe I could have been a good centurion. <laughs> this particular centurion, he is in occupied territory, and he is in a place where he knows he's out of place. So why would he send the Jewish leaders? Why would they go to Jesus? Verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Why would Jews who hated centurions go to Jesus on behalf of this guy? Well, because he had built their synagogue. Now, why would he do that? I guess because you're outnumbered. You've got 100 men, and you're in a town of 2,000, surrounded by lots of villages of hundreds of people. It's, it's probably important when you're out of place to play nice in the sandbox, right? But the Bible tells us it's more than that. He loved the Jewish nation. Why? Well, this might surprise you, but many Greeks and Romans were attracted to the God of Israel. And the reason they were attracted is because their God, their gods were pretty nasty. They, they would rape women, they would lie to you, they would cheat you. The gods were, they weren't loving gods. And along come the Jews and they say, we have one God, not a hundred. We got one God and that God created you, he knows you, he cares about you. And so a lot of these Greeks and Romans were attracted to the God of Israel. And my guess is that if you feel out of place in this place, that's you. You don't know about God in heaven. You think he's probably real, but you don't know about Jesus and all his claims. But you're just investigating. Here's the deal for you. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know this one thing. That what you're doing right now isn't working. And Jesus may be the best option and the best hope for you. So that's where this centurion was. But he wasn't ready to convert because to convert, you actually had to do two things. And most Romans and Greeks were not willing to do this. Number one, you had to get circumcised. An adult male, not a popular thing to ask. The second thing, and for some of you, this would be even harder than circumcision, he would have to give up bacon. Praise God for Jesus. We can just all agree on that. <laughs> this man built a synagogue because of his respect for the God of Israel. And this is really uh, quite interesting. You know, you can go to Capernaum today. It's an archaeological site, still in the same spot, right on the north shore of the Lake of Galilee. And you can walk into the city and go into the synagogue itself. Now, this synagogue is a fifth century synagogue. 
but it's built right on top of the original synagogue that this man built. How do we know? Well, you can walk right around the side of the synagogue, and if you look at the black basalt foundation, those stones were laid by this man. So if you're in a place right now that you feel out of place, I just want you to know, this is not once upon a time. This is not make-believe. He was a real person just like you, and he met the real Jesus just like you're hoping to do. Verse six goes on to say, Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. This is interesting, the level of this man's faith. He, he doesn't put expectations on Jesus. He's asking. He's not demanding, hey, come to my house and touch my kid. He's going, I believe that you are powerful enough to just say the word and my son will be healed. See, a lot of us don't believe Jesus is enough. Oh, you believe in Jesus, but it's only on your terms. Come to my house, touch my kid, do it the way I think you should do it, and then I'll believe in you. But when you meet Jesus on paper, he, you may have some expectations that aren't high enough for Jesus. But when you meet the person, he will blow you away. He is higher than you actually think he is. Now, where would, it, where would a Roman centurion get this idea? I, I think I know. I, I can't prove it, but I think I know. There's another story about a man from this very village. He's a businessman, and one time he was over in a city called Cana, it's 13 miles away, and he runs into Jesus in Cana and says, Jesus, my, my child is, is about to die. Come down to Capernaum and, and touch my child. Come, come down with me and heal my boy. Please, please, I'm begging you. Jesus actually criticized him. So why? Why do you think I have to go 13 miles to Capernaum? I can say the word, and he will be healed right now. And then Jesus said the word, and the man went on his way. He gets home the next day, and his, his servants come out and meet him, and they say, your, your son's been healed. It was like yesterday, right in an instant. He, he just got up and was better. And the man said, what, what time was that? And they told him the time of the day, and it was the exact moment that Jesus said, your son will be healed. Now, if I'm a businessman and my son is healed like that, I'm gonna blab it to everyone who will listen. What are the chances that this high-powered businessman in Capernaum told the story to the high-powered centurion in Capernaum? Well, the chances are somewhere between 99 and 110%. Yes, he heard this story. And what he's doing is so considerate he said, Jesus, if you, come, if you come into my house, when a Jew stepped across the threshold of a Gentile's home, the people around them blackballed him. He said, look, I, I don't want to damage your ministry. I don't want to put you out. I know who you are, and I know the power that you have. And some of you right now, feeling out of place in this place, are coming to a place where you're just saying to Jesus, hey, it's, it's not on my terms anymore. Like, you, you call the shots. 
I, w- I will come to you. You don't have to come to me. Listen to how this centurion puts it in verse eight. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the home and found the servant well. This is amazing because Jesus was amazed. You know how many times in all the Gospels Jesus was amazed? Twice. That's it, twice. And here this guy is, an outsider, in a place where he's out of place, amazes Jesus. Now, if you want to amaze Jesus, how are you going to do that? It's a a tough one, right? If, If our band said, hey, Jesus... This, this, this worship set, you gotta show up, this worship set is amazing. Some of you have said that. Our worship, our worship team is amazing, and I agree, they are. They're amazing. But not when you got angels. Jesus just go, yeah, I got angels. You're, you're all right. Let's say Michael Phelps, the greatest swimmer of all time, said, Jesus, you're not gonna believe this, but I'm a pretty amazing swimmer. Like, come, come watch me swim. And if Jesus did, this is what it would look like. Yep, you really are. You're a great swimmer, Michael. Like when you walk on water, someone else's athletic prowess is not that big a deal. You know what I'm saying? Or, or how about, if I personalize this, I have like two spiritual gifts. One of them is sleeping. <laughs> don't, don't laugh, I'm really good at it. The other one is speaking. Now, I would never do this. I, I'm not that dumb, but can you imagine me saying to Jesus, hey Jesus, you wanna hear a really great sermon? Come this weekend, I'm preaching. What? How are you going to amaze Jesus? See, some of you think you can amaze Jesus with, with your righteousness. Oh, I'm going to amaze Jesus by, by my family. Look at my business, Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm doing really well. How are you going to amaze Jesus? For, for you who showed up today, you're on one of our campuses and you're looking around and you think, Jesus must be amazed at everybody else but me. The only thing that amazes Jesus is your faith. And the fact that you came, that you you stepped in the door, even though it was uncomfortable, that will amaze him. The, The only other time Jesus was amazed, it wasn't from an outsider, it was an insider. It was his own hometown. He went there to preach in a synagogue. And his own friends, his own family, his own synagogue did not believe in him. It says that because of their unbelief, Jesus couldn't do many miracles in that place. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. The only way you're gonna amaze Jesus is by your faith. And the only thing you're gonna amaze Jesus with is your lack of faith. The point of this first story is really simple. Jesus might be surprised when you believe in him. And, and, you might be surprised when Jesus believes in you.
See, the reason Luke told us this story in Luke chapter seven is that when you get to volume two and you're reading through the book of Acts, the story of the church, right in the middle of, the, of his second book, there's a story about another centurion. Different city, different centurion, but still the same occupation. And that centurion loved God. We, we don't know how he learned about God. We don't know what he did to really try to honor God. We don't know like all the events around it, but he just pops up in the story. His name is Cornelius, and he's in a city of Caesarea, and he's praying to God at 3 p.m., which happens to be the Jewish time of prayer. So he, he, he's not circumcised. He's, he's, he's not giving up pork, but he's doing everything else he can to be just like the Jews. He's giving alms to the poor. He's praying to God, and an angel shows up. God sent an angel to say, Cornelius, I've heard your prayer. And here's the answer to your prayer. There's a man named Peter. He's, he's living in the city of Joppa. Send some servants to Joppa and find him. So they took off. They, like, they went through the whole night to travel to get to Peter. This is urgent. Meanwhile, Peter, the next morning, 10 a.m., he's praying on the roof. And it, like lunch is late and he's really hungry. And he sees this vision of all these different kinds of food, these animals and a voice said, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And he would go, why, I would never. I'm kosher. Nothing unclean has passed these lips. God is a test, isn't it? I passed your test. And God said, no, I'm serious. Rise, kill and eat. Three times this happened. And finally God said, Peter, Peter, stop calling unclean what I have called clean. Church, we better wake up. Because there are people that we're pointing the finger at and saying they're unclean. And God is just weeping. And his anger is rising because we keep giving the stiff arm to the people who might be the closest to amazing Jesus in our midst. I want you to hear what Peter says when he arrives. And if you read the whole story, you gotta back up clear to chapter six and go through chapter 11. This is a long story. You know why? Because overcoming our prejudice is not easy. It's hard to give up what you think is so important. Here's what Peter says in verse 28 of Acts chapter 10. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. If you're here today and you just showed up and you're uncomfortable, because this isn't a place you normally go, I just want you to know we're comfortable with you being here. We value and we want you to join us in honoring and loving Jesus Christ. As Peter preaches to them, there's one more verse I gotta read to you. Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It's a hot topic to talk about inclusion, and it should be. There are people in our country 
who have been oppressed and beleaguered, overlooked and underserved. It's just true. And it's time for us to wake up to that. But I, I, I wanna tell you the reason that the church talks about inclusion is totally different than the reason the world does. Now look, I, I can celebrate diversity with the best of them. I, I do want to welcome everyone. I do want to be open to other ideas and other groups. But it's not because I'm a good person. And there's so much virtue posturing right now around this issue of inclusion. Look at how good we are. We celebrate people's differences. Can we just be adults here for a minute? Differences are hard for everybody. It doesn't matter your gender, your ethnicity, your economic level. Differences are difficult because it's harder to communicate across the divide of a difference. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't. We should. It doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate diversity. We should. But the world's approach to diversity is to highlight and focus on our differences. The church's approach to diversity is to highlight, focus, worship, and praise the one who is above all. And I want to tell you why this is such an important issue for our church. Because there's going to come a day when we all stand around the throne of God and we worship our God. And it's then that our differences will escalate and elevate the praise of our God. It's described in Revelation chapter seven. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And as the chorus of praise rises to God, the elders of heaven join in, the angels of heaven join in, and this mighty chorus praises God with every tongue and every tribe and every dance and every art, every musical style. And if we get to heaven and one of you's not there, then our praise will not be sufficient for a universal God who created all men and women, styles and nations, ethnicities and economics. I'm, what I'm telling you, if you're on one of our campuses right now feeling like I'm in a place where I'm out of place, I want you to know this. We don't just want you here. We need you. Because you have a voice that I don't have. And you have an experience and a background that I don't have. We value you, not because we're such good people, but because our God is a great God, and he deserves all that we can offer. That is the official policy of inclusion in the Bible. And what you need to know is that the only way to reach inclusion is with an invitation. Inclusion requires an invitation. We've been talking about this for weeks. Easter is the Super Bowl of our faith. When we celebrate the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead. 
There is not a man, woman, or child in our valley that does not need that message. And there is not a man, woman, or child in our valley who cannot add to the chorus of praise of our God. We need you. And if you're an insider, we need you to invite those around you that you may never suspect have any interest in God, but they do. Because their gods have let them down and their culture has beat them up. And so my challenge is simple. As you walk out the doors of your campus, pick up a handful of invitation cards and go crazy. Because we got a lot to talk about. And we have a God that deserves everyone to be here, to hear the message and praise our God who is in heaven. That's why we are for the entire valley. Holy Father, it is sometimes hard to like people who are unlike us. We're human, we apologize but you are a God that does not show favoritism. There is not a person that you don't find value in. There is not a person that you don't believe in even before they believe in you. Would you raise up an army out of our midst of those who would radically include by a risky invitation this week as we celebrate next week the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. I look forward to seeing you next week. And we have two unique services, both family friendly. Friday night is a good Friday service. It's different than the weekend. And Sunday, sunrise is a different service than the rest of the weekend. There's lots of opportunities to put this lesson into practice. Let's go make Jesus famous.